Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. This week I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Paul Field. Evening, guys. And Phil Sherman from the Wiki Shuffle. Hello, pleasure to be here. Yeah, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us, Phil. Oh, I'm I'm excited um, to dazzle you all with my inept opinions. Yeah, You're the best (laughs) third of Wiki Shuffle, I believe. Is that correct? That's my belief. Yeah, we we definitely... I mean... Between you and me, I think you've got the better voice, just to sort of... Smoother. Would you say smoother. that it's smoother? And sexier, yeah. I think. Well, like something you. about it. It's like the yeah. guy who done that late night love radio show, who used Thanks. to give people advice and play love songs. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you're not a Eurovision fan. That other guy... <laughs> there's one of them whose name I can't remember. There's you and there's, there's Jack, I think. And then there's another one. I don't know his name, so he can't be the favourite. <laughs> Chris will be pleased to hear you. <laughs> Good. <Yeah>. Good. <laughs> anyway, on to on to film matters. And before we before we get into into the proper podcast, I had a thought while watching the trailer for, for Legend, the Tom Hardy film about the the Cray twins. So mm-hmm. he's playing both Cray twins. Could he technically get two say if he was good enough, Oscar or BAFTA nominations, one for playing Reggie and one for playing Ronnie, or could he only get one for the film as a whole? Good question. That is a very good question. Yeah, why why wasn't this in the prep, Steve? I mean we could have I, I literally <laughs> I literally thought about it about ten minutes ago. <laughs> I did hear the rumour that came out very recently and it uh, you can't libel the dead, can you? So No, but I wouldn't libel the, the craze. No, but, but so, uh, there was the, still people out there. Yeah, but there was the rumour that they were incestuous. Well, I was thinking, much like Steve earlier, that if there's an on-screen bit of jiggy-jiggy and they both get involved, can he count that as a three-way? Well, I mean, if it, if it is incestuous and he's with himself, I mean, what is that? Uh, I, I, mean, that I don't know how that's attempting to answer the question that I posed. Um, <laughs> I would imagine you can get nominated twice for the same film. I, I can't see why not. It's two different characters. Because I've not seen them. I can't remember how the award nominations have written. That. So say it was, does it just get, is it just say Tom Hardy for legend or is it Tom Hardy as so-and-so? In Le- so if it was. No, it would just be his role in that film, won't it? So he could they get. Won't nom- name, name the character. No, that's what but I mean. But he is playing two different yeah, characters. Because people could quite conceivably say, oh, he's really good at doing Ronnie, but Reggie he's rubbish at. In theory. <laughs> So well, he could... there's an easy yeah, way I'm... of answering this problem. 
how many nominations has Eddie Murphy had? Yeah, I was just thinking. Well, hang on, let's go, let's go back. To, go back to Kind Hearts and Coronets. Did um, where he played? Oh Elvis yeah, Guinness. Yeah, yeah. Alec Guinness. Did he get nominated for that? I will have a look now. Because what did he do? Seven roles. But he was playing one character impersonating other people, wasn't he? Yeah, but it was still him playing everybody in the film. Yeah. But oh yeah, yeah, true. And I guess. Um, Peter Sellers could have been nominated for a load for the films where he appeared as more than one person. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a few. Times. And Jean-Claude Van Damme, of course. He's done it a few times, and I don't think he's won an Oscar for it yet. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in our corridor of praise. Of course. We, don't, we need to get hold of the Academy to get a definitive answer on this. It, he, didn't, he didn't win. Um, Alec Guinness, just having a look, didn't win um, an Oscar. Robbed. For, for Kind Hearts and Coronets. But he, yeah, he got Best Actor at the National Board of Review in 1950. There you go. Yeah, so he did. <laughs> so, yes, I guess definitively, yeah, I would. No, it's not definitively. But I can imagine that, yes, you can be nominated twice. Because you can be nominated twice in the same year for different films. Well, yeah, but that's, that's quite No, we're obvious. saying you can't be nominated twice for the same film. For, no, anyway. For, no, in the, in the <laughs> same category. Because you could be an actor-director and get nominated as Best Director and Best Actor, but could you get two nominations for playing the same, for different roles no. in the same film? No. Yeah, because the, the title of the award's not Best Actor, is it? It's Best Performance by an Actor. So presumably mm-hmm. there's two different performances going on there. Yeah, I'm putting my money on potentially you could be nominated twice for the same film. No. <laughs> I don't think I it's likely to happen. But I reckon yeah. it would be within the rules for that to happen. Listeners, if you know or care, <laughs> please send us a, a, a postcard with the answer on the back, and we'll go from there. Can you give them your PO box number, Steve? Just you know, if they put in a self-addressed envelope. Then, uh... <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway yeah. onto the podcast itself, um, and less nonsense questions from me that confuse everyone and um, put everyone on the spot. We're onto the quiz. Where Owen, the score is now two-one to you. Exciting, yeah. So, if you win, you've got to have a film lined up for me to watch for next week, right? Is that has that happened? Um, it will happen by the end of this podcast, I promise you. <laughs> okay, so, um, Paul and Phil, you're going to be on the same team against Steve, right? Sharman, so... have you got any smarts? No, oh, we're well, fucked then because I've never got a question be... right. Uh, I tend to just rely on my charm. <laughs> it could win. You could win okay, in that good, case. Good. Yeah, as we've discussed, you're the most charming member of Wiki Shuffle. We're very pleased to have you. It, it, um, when you say charm, you're going to offer Owen a handy if he gives you a point. Yeah. Oh, even perfect. if even if I don't give him a point, I think that's on the table. But um, <laughs> I thought it'd be under the table. <laughs> uh, um, but it kind of inspired inspired by this week's news. Um, I've done a train spotting themed quiz. Okay, so in the original film, um, Danny Boyle's original train spotting, there were a number of deleted scenes, and most of which are on YouTube. Okay, I've got some here which are real, and some which I've made up, some quotes from those deleted scenes. Nice. Okay, you've got to tell me whether it's real or fake. I am really looking forward to the accent work here. No accents. Uh, no, in fact, I'll give you a bonus point if you read it back in um, a convincing accent. Oh, way to pass the buck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good at that. Um, so, uh, Steve, do you want to go first? 
Go on, then. Okay. Is this quote real or is it fake from a deleted scene in Trainspotting? I'll crack if this crack is cack. That is... That's not real. No, that's not real. Can't be it, real. Yeah, it's fake. Yeah, of course it's fake. It's a really terrible line and terrible pun, and I was embarrassed about it, so I thought I'd get it out of the way first. But well done, Steve. That's um, first point to you. So, Phil, Paul, opium doesn't just grow on trees, you know. And remember, you can get a bonus point if you read this back in a convincing accent. Oh, that's not happening. <laughs> Would they refer to it as opium? Yeah, they might do. I could, I could see Sick Boy saying that. You know, yeah. Opium doesn't grow on trees, eh, pal? Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, was that convincing? What do we think? Well, yeah, I definitely think it you was. You definitely think, yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you a point, but a bonus point, because otherwise this is going to go on all night. But what, do you think it was real or fake? Yeah, go on. Real. Well, I think we can. Yeah. Yes, it was real. Um, yeah, it was Johnny Lee Miller, and he says it in a scene called A Thief. Oh, so I even, do I get an extra point for the character as well, then? You do. Well, you've got a point for the <laughs> for the <laughs> for the accent, but you've got, yeah. Okay, Steve. Yo. Yo. Get clean, get dealing. That's where the future lies. That's false. You think it's false? Yeah. I think it's real. Yeah, I, I could. It is real. Yeah. Again, it's Johnny Lee Miller's character, and he says it in a scene that's called "Get Clean." So you miss out on a point on that one, Steve. And you didn't even read it back in a in an accent, so you were now. Still 2-1 down. Well, I mean, do, can it be any accent, or is it you to be Scottish? No, no, I want a convincing Scottish accent. Well, first you just said a convincing accent. I mean, I'm doing a convincing Dorset accent right now, <laughs> as it is my own accent. Are you from Dorset? Yeah. Oh. Where did you think he was from? <laughs> Wales? <laughs> not Cockney. <laughs> it's not a very convincing accent, I have to say. I'm not convinced at all. No, no, no I agree. So... Are you? Were you in the Wurzels? I don't think the Wurzels were from Dorset. Oh, it's all the same. <laughs> I think they're Somerset. <laughs> all right. Anyway. Good, anyway. Good live act. <laughs> the only live act. <laughs> right, Bill, Paul. If I have to eat one more Scotch egg or drink an iron brew, False. I'll purposefully OD. There's no way that's real. No way. It's false. Yeah, of course it's false. Slightly xenophobic as well. So, um... <laughs> yeah, that's another point. So, Steve, you've got to get this and give me an accent to still be in, in with a chance for this one. All right. Okay. You see how much I care now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. I've been known to smoke it, sniff it, swallow it, stick it up my arse and inject it into my veins. I can't remember enough of that to do a proper impression. I'm going to say it's true, though. Well, you've got to give it a go, I think, the accent. Otherwise, you, you lose either way. I'll lose, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what, do, what are you saying? Real or fake? I've said it's real. Was that Renton? It, um, yeah, he's, well, uh, Ewan McGregor's yeah. character. Yeah. Um, in a scene called The Interview. And it was real, yeah, of course. 
Um, I so feel yeah, like I've made a pity but... fuck tonight because you've picked one of my favourite films and my favourite author, so it was like it's so ridiculously easy. That, that, that is a first for you, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even on the Danny Dyer podcast where you'd seen every Danny Dyer film in about six weeks, you still managed to lose. Yes. Yeah. Never turned down a pity fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Yeah. It wasn't offering. <laughs> well, either way, whatever has happened now, it's over. And, um, Steve, you've got to wait until next week at least before you can... Potentially, I'm going to be on a beach next week. You are. That's right. And Phil, I think you're doing a quiz for us next week, aren't you? I am. I will be doing the quiz next week. Yeah. Um, I ought to write something really, hadn't I? I've got seven days. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do this last minute, of course. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So hopefully the quiz next week will be a bit better. But um, yeah, I mean, basically, I made the, the quiz themed around train spotting because the, the news this week is that it's been suspected for a while, but apparently Danny Boyle is going to do train spotting too, based on the, the, the book by uh, Urban Welsh, which is called Porno. Yes, finally. Yeah. I've been, oh, this has been just going on forever. You know why it's been delayed for so long? Because. You um, and McGregor and uh, Danny Boyle famously fell out over the beach. They did, yeah, because he, he cast DiCaprio, he didn't did. he? Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a real interesting one because the background isn't um, heroin. The mm. background is pornography, where they make what they call scud films in a pub, um, and they record them on tape. But now, obviously, things have moved on, so it'd be the same as you know, recording them and putting them online. Or... Um, or- so they're going to set it this far after training spotting. I suppose they have to with the actors now, don't they? I think just what from what I've read is they are going to kind of bring it kicking and screaming, bang up to date. So rather than them filming the, these pornos in the, upstairs in the pub and putting them on VHS, they'll mm. be going online. But more than anything else, I'm looking forward to seeing a character called Juice Terry Lawson. Who, um, who I won't give too much away, but he's just hilarious. He's one of the funniest characters in the in the Train Spotting universe, and to see him on screen, who or who's going to play him is is just beyond me. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. So Boyle said he's going to do it. Where where did the cast stand on this though? Are they all on board or are they? Well, so he says, yeah. So he says he thinks he's going to get McGregor and um, Johnny Lee Miller back and, and um, Robert Carlyle, who apparently they're all doing stuff in America all the time anyway. I think Johnny Lee Miller's still doing Elementary, which was really good. I really enjoyed Elementary um, up to a point. And Robert Carlyle's doing um, his own show. I think he's got a recurring role in something or wasn't, other. Wasn't he in that one that was about you know fairy tale characters coming into the real world? Oh, Grimm. Something like that. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, that's it, I think. He was, yeah. he was in something like that anyway. Yes. None of them are setting the world on fire. Mm. Of course they're going to come and do the, nan- do the new Danny Boyle film. Mm. But he, yeah, I mean, basically the news is sort of coming out now. I guess to give a bit of publicity to Danny Boyle, because he's got another film which is due out soon. <laughs> Steve Jobs. Mm. We were really excited to see another film about Steve Jobs. Who who wants to go and see a film about some shithouse twat who sells mobile phones? I just don't get it. <laughs> That's a good description of his career, I suppose, summed up in a sentence. Um, That's just, I just, I've watched every single one of his films, and most of them, bar post Slumdog, he's had a bit of a mare. 
127 hours trance. It was a bit iffy. And now this Steve Jobs thing, I think he, he needs the, the train spotting sequel as much as the cast do. Hmm. Although I still maintain that opening ceremony for the Olympics was fucking amazing. Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah, just film that. Just yeah, just do that again. Dramatize that. Um, have you have any of you read the book Porno? No, no. Crikey, no. this it is it's going to be challenging to bring that to the screen. I, I, you know, much like we we touched upon the other week, Kill Your Friends, mm-hmm. which is going to be equally challenging. But it's great to see some proper, you know, filthy eighteen certificate films actually making it onto the screen. So, not that they're going to show it here, but there you go. Yeah. Well, mentioning filthy, the filth, of course, was one that was supposed to be unfilmable, and that turned out brilliant. Yeah, I, I really awesome. loved filth. We, I thought James McAvoy was absolutely fantastic in that. It was, it was superb. And there's, um, a, there's a sequel to that as well, um, in book form, mm. where that character goes off to the states and gets involved in a paedophile ring, and it's all very, very dark. So again, really challenging to film. As opposed to all those light-hearted paedophile ring films. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, just to sort of just to cap it off, I guess. Are we actually fans of Danny Boyle then? I know we've talked about some of his recent films. Do we still sort of think of ourselves as fans of his work, or have we never liked his stuff? I've no, liked I some of it. His films of the nineties shaped my existence as a human being. I'm sure of that. Shallow Grave, Train Spotting, Life Less Ordinary. I lived and breathed for as a teenage boy and uh, yeah i can nothing he can do can ever undo that for me and yeah i agree some of his newer stuff been a bit off the boil oh there was a pun there that i didn't even mean to make. Hey. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> an actual accident um, but i loved 127 hours um i 28 days later is one of my favorite ever films as well i think he's fantastic and i think he tries lots of interesting stuff so i you know revisiting that train spotting world which i loved so much when i was sort of 16 17 when it came out um yeah i'm well up for seeing some more of that um although i'm not familiar with the source material at all yeah just the last word i think that too much kind of focus on on danny boyle with this project and it's it's irving welsh who's who's the real kind of man behind this because his stories are, are, are awesome and he's you know he, he's one of our you know literary talents that as you said earlier about the films he, he defined you know my growing up uh, I think he's amazing and, and I wish they, they'd make more of his work into films <laughs> What we've been watching, then, we take a look at what films we've seen in the last week or so, not necessarily new releases in the cinema. Oh, why don't you kick us off in this section? Sure. Okay. So, um, what happened quite recently, which was a, a pleasant surprise, um, is we were contacted by a PR company who are trying to promote the 35th Cambridge Film Festival, um, which apparently makes it the third longest running film festival uh, in the UK, which is pretty cool. Um, but they're, they're trying to promote the, the festivals. They've, they've given us some screeners for films. And, you know, sometimes, not to disparage the people who do send us screeners, we don't always get the best quality films. We, we get a lot of indie films and low-budget, sort of micro-budget indie British or American horrors. And they're fun, and I like watching them and everything. We do get a lot of shite as well. We, we, <laughs> we, we, we end up with a lot of shite. Don't mince your words. 
yeah. I did go through the list you sent me, and I was being very diplomatic in my reply. Because it was like, <laughs> ooh, an Afghanistani film about a flower-arranging club? Ooh, a refugee. So I was like, yeah, these are not going to work for me. A lot of them are Eurodramas and the kind of thing that gets rejected from Sundance for being too arty. But some of them sounded quality well they did and, and i was scanning through looking for like if any that looked a bit dirty but even they you know there weren't any late night channel 4 ones on there even no there's there's no um sequel to bluest the warmest color no. or anything like that there so um but one of them that i thought sounded really interesting one that i was really quite keen to watch uh it's called welcome to leaf and it's a documentary it's about um a small town called leaf in north in north dakota in America, it's got a population of about 24 people. I reckon it had about 24 people um, until until this guy called Craig Cobb moves in, and he starts buying up all these vacant properties in in the the small little um, town. He buys up all these plots of land, and what is revealed is that he's an infamous white supremacist who plans to buy up all the land in Leith, um, legally, this, this is legally, take over the town, uh, take over the town's government and establish something called Cobbsville, where he invites white separatists um, and racists from all around the state, all around the country in America to just move in. Yeah, but here's and the thing, all... Owen. Yes. The trailer promises that, but the yeah. film doesn't quite give that story. <laughs> Uh, well, I was a, uh, first. Uh, to be stuffed, I actually thought it was about Leith in Edinburgh, where train spotting is set, and I was <laughs> like really excited, and then realised yeah. it wasn't. Um, I, you say about you know getting all these white supremacists to move in. What actually happens is Keena Dutton moves in, this weedy-looking <laughs> guy with a Hitler tash, his monster of a wife and four kids, and that's yeah, it. But- Yes, but that's because, yeah, so I mean, uh, it goes into it a little bit in the documentary about why people haven't been able to move in, because the properties aren't quite habitable yet. So, you know, they they, they kind of jump in the two directors, um, two guys who who, uh, directed this, Michael Beach Nichols and Christopher K. Walker, they sort of jump into the story at a point where it's been made public that this guy, this Craig Cobb, has moved into this town. So he's already there. He's starting to buy up the properties and then he interviews the residents who are trying to take this guy to court to get him kicked out of of Leith because they obviously don't want him there. They think that um, he's a menace, he's a nuisance, he's going to invite all these people, he's going to ruin their little community, so they want to kick him out. So what I thought was really fascinating about the documentary, what really appealed to me was that it doesn't turn it into that that um that freak show that you may be expected to with all these um prejudiced idiots who move into into the the town and just act like hooligans hoodlums throwing racial abuse at everyone causing all kinds of chaos he was a just the most vile revolting piece of shit you know on film he's probably the worst since that what's his name billy from uh uh, Billy Mitchell yeah. from King. <laughs> he, actually, he actually made him look good, but but in but in a seriously nasty way. But yeah. I just didn't feel the, the the scope and the weight of a ninety minute documentary 
about this guy because the people he had around him were a joke. The mm-hmm. neighbours, I almost got the feeling they wanted to be on telly because if they were that terrified, yes. why would they go on a film to put themselves... Uh, it, it, something but didn't it go... quite stack up. Yeah, I mean, possibly there is some degree of that in there, you know, where particularly with one guy whose his name's really escaped me, but he clearly he just he's in it for the for the fame. Oh, I know, I know the guy you mean, the older guy yeah. with the camera. The older guy who um, is very confident about the situation, talks about how he's ex navy and uh, <laughs> he's he's going to stand up to these guys. He's not scared of anybody. He's just going to stand he up to them and make sure during Pearl Bloody Harbor. Yeah, so he's just a bit of a eccentric, crazy old fella. But then, I mean, what the documentary I thought did really well is, like I say, it doesn't turn it into this freak show. It gives you a little bit of both sides of the argument. And clearly, this Carb and his friends are, as you say, just utterly despicable. They're, they're horrible people. Their yes. opinions are just abhorrent, revolting. But you do literally get to see their side of, of the story. So it doesn't turn it into a look at these people who are being victimised for their beliefs when they victimise other people for, for literally just being a different colour to them. Um, we did have the Daily it, Mail turn up and then he goes on Trisha. It was all a bit, I was like, oh, really? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of tabloidy aspects to um, some of the way that it's presented. But this is stuff that he was doing. They're just documenting what happened to him. Yeah, I, but I just didn't feel the the threat that that they presented was was that significant the guy was but that, is, that, is part of, <laughs> that is part of the que- the question that the documentary is asking as well because the court case that comes to fruition eventually centered on domestic terrorism and the fact that he's terrorizing the local community and they're made to feel threatened by just simply his presence in the in their little, mm, their little night follows day you knew where that was going yes but Either way, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting. Some very, very interesting characters, some interesting arguments as well about sort of constitutional rights and whether they're being used or abused, as the case may be, Um, about sort of access to personal information as well. That gets covered a little bit with um, him publishing their addresses online of digging, like privately digging into their history. About one, one couple who were there, their young daughter died. She was murdered years ago. And he sort of drags this up and uses it to bait them um, but, into but this the, whatever by, he thinks you know, is going to By the happen. same token, this guy then agreed to appear you know, in a film with his family all on the television. I just thinking, mm-hmm. no, if, the, if you were really concerned and you were really fearful, you wouldn't yeah. want this being broadcast. They, so all of his supporters, if he has them, now know who you are, what you look like and where you live. Yeah, and... <laughs> I just, that, it just didn't add up. There's a serious level of threat to that, though. I thought, I thought they got that across quite well. That things have happened to people who he's known and made. No, they made that really, event. really tenuous link to that Do guy who committed a crime in the library. That again, it just. Mm. I think they were clutching. Well, I think partly because they had already covered part of his story, and then he did what he did. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, don't like think they... they covered his story. I think they put that in and then covered it afterwards. I, if you, I think if you if you deconstruct this, there's not as much there as you think. Yeah. Well, 
possible, I guess. But I mean, I I definitely thought it was it was fascinating. No, I'm just, just playing devil's advocate. It's always good with documentaries. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. Yeah. But you know, they use a lot of home video footage as well from both sides of this sort of feud, which gives you a lot of perspective on how both you know sides are being being treated by the other. Um, and I'm not saying you should sympathise or empathise with with either. You know them for just having this guy they don't like in their town or this guy who's having his tyres slashed on his car because he's racist and proud about it. Um, oh, and I think it's going to rain. You want to go and pull all those flags in from out the front side of your house? <laughs> is that showing? Oh, shit. No, it's blown. My cover is blown. I'm going to have to take the swastikas down and hide all my Nazi memorabilia and everything, though. If but, only he was joking. If only. If only. But, yeah, I mean, it's called Welcome to Leith and... Um, if you do manage to sort of catch it at the, the Cambridge Film Festival, if you're in the area, it's on Thursday the 10th of September um, at the Light Cinema and Saturday the 12th as well. Yeah, and so. I, to, just to clarify, I did actually enjoy it. It was, it was well made. It was interesting. Just maybe not a 90-minute film. I think it'll turn up on Storyville eventually. It's got that feel yeah. to it. Okay. Uh, Paul, what have you seen? Um, oh, this, this has been tough trying to find stuff to watch this month um and finally today i got round to watching uh, a new release on uh, on itunes um called uh, fort tilden I, I did look up who directed it but i didn't know anything else they'd done they all sounded like a load of kind of really sort of mumblecore twaddle um <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a it's a film about two girls who want to go to the beach um it's kind of in the vein of if you like girls and if you like broad city, it's somewhere in the middle. So you've got these kind of self-entitled New York ditzy hipster types who, um, you know, the real proper self-entitled skanks. And it's just their story. They want to go to the beach to meet these boys and all the kind of, micro dramas that happen to them as they try and get from their house to the beach they want to go on their bikes and then they get stolen they walk down the street and there's somebody's left some rubbish by the side of the road and they try and buy it from a homeless person because they think it's like bric-a-brac for their apartment there's a lot of cliches there but i kind of quite like this stuff i love broad city i really like do you know broad city yeah love it Yep, okay, there you go. I knew you'd know, Charmin. These two fucking idiots never watched um, <laughs> We did a TV podcast, and we didn't, didn't watch half of You hadn't the, watched any of the shows, shows that yeah. were nominated for the Emmys. But, yeah, that's the level that you're dealing with here, Paul. And it, it kind of goes from the Broad City extreme, where they, they're talking about this guy, and, and she's like, oh, my God, his jizz must be like vinegar and coloured orange, and you'd have to bleach and minge out for a month afterwards, and I'm in fits to... <laughs> 30 minute monologues in the back of a taxi which is all very melodramatic and um, I was really struggling um, by the end so <sighs> they do meet up, up with them at the end and meet these other girls and everyone gets their tits out if that helps sell it no? We're not all a bunch of chauvinistic pigs who only watch films with women in the see tits Paul. Okay but I'll email you the link for it afterwards, Steve. Yeah, no, I mean, I say, if you like girls and you like Broad City, this is absolutely in your wheelhouse. If you hate all that kind of self-entitled hipster shit, then this will be your worst film of the year. Done. Done. You are indeed. 
On to Phil then, and what have you seen? Okay, well, last night I rewatched for the first time since it, since it came out, and I saw it in the cinema. Uh, the Adjustment Bureau uh, with Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. Now, I loved this film when it came out. Um, it was one of my favourite films of the year in 2011, and I hadn't seen any of it since, um, and it just happened to have appeared on um, Netflix Canada, I believe. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll give that a go and see if it bears up as well as I remember. Um, and it kind of does. It's a very different film from how I remember. What I noticed, and the thing that I'll observe about it the most, is it's kind of a 21st century big or vice versa. <laughs> Those sort of real, full of hearts, family-friendly, high-concept, stupid films that just bowl you over in their own cuteness um, and takes itself much more seriously than it probably should, but does it with so much conviction that you kind of go along with it. Helped by the fact that Emily Blunt and Matt Damon are actually adorable. Um, they're meet cute at the beginning of the um, of the film where Emily Blunt has smuggled herself into the gents' toilets to use the toilets and Matt Damon's there giving a speech to himself and she doesn't want to reveal the fact that she's there but then has to because she's been there too long, is genuinely completely <laughs> endearing. Um, and they play it so well. And there's just so much about the film that could be lost up its own ass, And it just doesn't do that because it's sincere in everything that it's trying to achieve. Are, are you familiar with the film? Yeah, I, I loved it. I just want to touch upon something you, you just said about, you know, kind of something that all the family can sit down and watch. And we had um, guy James Mulliger on the other week and he was talking about this and said that they just don't make those films anymore. Everything's compartmentalized. Everyone goes up and watches stuff in their own room. And, you know, it's either young adult fiction you know, for uh, kids, adult. There's, there's not that kind of, you know, unless it's out, certainly outside of Pixar anyway, where you can sit down with, with your kids and watch something. Yeah. And this, you absolutely can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't have any kids, so I don't really care about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to know that the people with children can enjoy it too. Um, Thanks, Charmin. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, if you're not familiar with the premise, and I don't want to give too much away because it itself, when it was released, was very secretive about what the, the twist was. Um, but it's kind of matrixy. I'm not going to go any further than that because I think that would give too much away if someone who hasn't seen it. Um, but it's never really about that. It doesn't get itself too quagmired down in those details. It's really about the relationship between Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. And you genuinely feel like these are two characters who would love each other, who you want to get behind and you want to get together. Um, and it's really charming for it. It wasn't as effective as a as a thriller it wasn't as tense as i remembered it from the first time i watched it and it felt a lot shorter and as though it had less to say than the first time i saw it but i still very much enjoyed it and um don't regret giving it another go lovely hmm. yeah i still haven't seen it but i've only heard good things about it so i didn't realize it had been added to to netflix recently i will i will check it out now finally okay so i have watched a couple of things this week first one was a film that I think Owen and one other from last week were talking about, and I can't remember what it, who it was, but it was These Final Hours, the Australian apocalyptic, oh, yeah. apocalyptic thriller. Um, so I won't go over it too much because it's been spoken about last week. Um, but, yeah, really enjoyed it. Like that kind of 
apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic kind of film. Yeah, I um, think we set we settled on pre-post-apocalyptic. <laughs> yep. Just Sounds before the apocalypse. Yeah. Stop making up genres, Owen. <laughs> Getting incredibly niche with them. But anyway, yeah, so, you know, um, no really good performances, interesting twist on the usual kind of thing you get in those films because in most of these kind of films there is some kind of hope there is some kind of chance of survival and this it, it, it's made quite clear from the start that there isn't it's it's all over so it's more about the people their personal journey their their current situation of what they've got to reconcile before the inevitable end comes which is uh, an interesting take on it i don't know if it quite works towards the end for me but in, in mm. general the film is is good and it's certainly worth watching for, for anyone who can get their hands on it yeah it's like seeking a friend for the end of the world but without the rom-com element to it i think yeah yeah and a bit a bit, bit more serious takes itself a lot more seriously bit grittier yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Um, some very dark things that that go on in it yeah some uh, some sort of um yeah, a few kind of... I wouldn't say any scenes are, are quite troubling, but um, there's certainly a few dark themes. Well, yeah, I mean, it's because it, it's about the relationship between that guy and uh, a, a, just a, a random little girl that he finds who he tries to get back to her dad. But it's the moment where he finds her and what's possibly about to happen to her yeah. that is just really dark and... Um, yeah, I don't think I need to say any more about that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you actually um, sort of seeked it out and enjoyed it because it, it, it seems to have gone down really well from Fright Fest as well. Yeah, I've, I've just seen on its Wikipedia page that there is an American remake being planned, which is completely pointless. Why? Why do they have to keep <laughs> it's, doing it's, that? It's, always... it's in a it's in a English language anyway. Like exactly. you could possibly yeah. understand if it was a foreign language film. And people are too lazy or thick to be bothered to read subtitles, so they remake it uh, in an American version. But the Australian accents are not that hard to understand. True. There's not even, yeah. you know, there's no reference. could have a Dorset accent. Yeah. Or... There's no references to cricket in there, so, you know, that's not going to confuse the Americans. I don't get why it, yeah. But anyway, um, certainly a film worth seeking out. Also, I've watched the first couple of episodes of Netflix's latest um effort or whatever you want to call it which is i'm going to pronounce this wrong probably narcos which is the um story narcos 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 whatever the story of um uh, infamous drug kingpin pablo escobar and that's been really good the first the first couple i've seen um is he is he narcoleptic is that where the name comes from I think it comes from narcotics, meaning narcotics, drugs. Narcotics, yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. yeah. I was, that was a terrible joke. Sorry, <laughs> moving on. As long as you realised, <laughs> that's good, because yeah. you can only grow from that point of view. If you can't see it yourself, then there's, <laughs> there's no hope for you. <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about Narcos, but I haven't managed to clear my schedule no, it's, enough it's, to give it the time and attention it, it's going to need, I think. It started well, and I'm going to keep on with it. Hopefully, just from my own football fan point of view, it's going to cover the um, the killing of the what's his name, the defender from the World Cup '94, which apparently Pablo Escobar was involved in. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm about halfway through, and they haven't got to that yet. 
So I don't know if it will be covered at all. But anyway, no, it's it's really good so far. Um, and yeah, Netflix really doing some some good work again. Yeah, they've done they've done really well with stuff recently. They have got a bit of a scattergun approach at the minute, I think. Uh, but I think we we have covered this before. They're not really that concerned about individual shows and their particular viewing figures, are they? What they look at is similar to like HBO, I guess, in America. Um, they they look at their subscription numbers first and foremost, and then they think about the the, the sort of shows that they want to produce. So surely they look at the con- subscription demographics, then the numbers, and then produce the shows. Well, well I guess so. so yeah. do, I mean, there's silver, lots of things sort of silver brigade. They don't do old biddy like where I live in <clears throat> in Bexhill. The local cinemas, if as you know, if you, if you've got something with you know Thora Heard in, everyone will <laughs> flock and see it. And and that will rack out every screen. Whereas Netflix, yeah. the old biddies don't have it, and they don't do, they don't make anything for that kind of demographic. I mean, they did they did reveal, um, or one of the, the higher ups did reveal this week that they turned down or um, refused on Top Gear, hmm. um, saying yeah. So they're not catering for the middle aged men market there. Well, they're catering for me. And <laughs> no, I, the thing for me is the model works so well that it makes me question the BBC. In theory, the BBC is fantastic and it's wonderful and I want to support it in every way possible. Then I look at what actual content the BBC generates for the licence fee and I compare that to what I get from Netflix and which one is more closely tailored to what I'm looking for. And I do find myself, well, hang on a minute, this model could actually work better. Because mm. well, do... there's still no advertising, which is obviously what I hate about commercial television and, and can't watch it because the adverts make me want to kill. Um, but the, they are so responsive and so much more streamlined than the massive hulking behemoth of the BBC, which is spending 95% of the money it spends on things that I will never be interested in. What do you, Whereas... watch, what do you watch that the BBC make? I think, for me, it would be Match of the Day, some other sports, um, Doctor Who... And sometimes EastEnders, maybe if the girlfriend round and wants to watch EastEnders. Yeah, don't you don't have to lie like that, Steve. We know. Well, we know. Danny, Dyer, <laughs> Danny Dyer's in it now, and he's great. And, yeah. Um, I mean, I watch yeah. some of the comedies that they. That I think they do occasionally put good comedies on. If the, another series of the trip comes out, I'll be watching that straight away. Um, even stuff like. You know, Storyville. Um, Storyville's brilliant. The mm-hmm. fact they buy up those document or the rights to screen those documentaries in the UK is just fantastic. Um, but I mean, even stuff like the the, the throwaway comedies they make. Uh, Would I lie to you, for example, just off the top of my head? Even that's all right to just kill half an hour with or QI or whatever. You know, just stuff like that is fine. I'm happy enough with that. Um, but I think what. But they I should. But I think Storyville. Oh, sorry, I'm still thinking of what I watched on the BBC. <laughs> Just story. Well, I think, I think Bake what, off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think what what the point Bill's trying to make is, and I'm putting words in his mouth. Please but do. It's it's fine the rather word than something else, I suppose. Um <laughs> anyway. It's, you mean it's, your penis, Steve. I always mean my penis. Okay. Uh but you know, it's it's all well and good making the the shows like Bake Off or yeah. EastEnders or QI that are just kind of bankers, but they should be challenging themselves to make better 
more interesting stuff that they perhaps don't do enough of. What they shouldn't be doing is trying trying to compete with ITV by having mm-hmm. fucking competitive dancing and singing shows, which make me want to fucking kill myself. Just yeah, but they, I mean, they are sort of trying new things. I mean, the, the fact that they're going to move, is it BBC Three? They're just going to cancel and turn into an online sort of channel only. Mm-hmm. Is that is that still going ahead, or was there was a bit of backlash to that? And I don't know why, because I don't watch anything on BBC Three. Repeat, repeats of Family Guy and American Dad. That's probably about it. Is the that... only people complaining think... were the kinds of people who like to sign petitions online. That's what I came to the conclusion of as well. Mind, I mean, mind you, BBC Three is directly responsible for the Bad Education movie. Yeah. Why, why yeah. was that a sitcom that ever deserved a movie to be made? I think possibly only because Jack Whitehall's popularity is just constantly increasing. What children really like that show? I think there's... Uh, look, <laughs> I've never been one of those people who slagged off stuff like Two Points of Lager because I think there was a certain audience who will love it. I was part of that. When I was about sort of 14 and they were doing all these rude things on Two Points of Lager and I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was brilliant. Um, You know, you get a bit older and everyone's tastes change and stuff and it's no longer a show for me and I probably stopped watching it when I was about sort of 17, 18. But I still think that those sort of shows, they have an audience and it's fine. You know, Bad Education has its audience. Um, Whatever else they they put on there, uh, I can't think. Little Miss Jocelyn was terrible, but they at least give some of these people the opportunity to make something. Whether that's on BBC Three on a subscription channel or whether it's just um, something that you can only get online, I think it's it's quite innovative, and they they have got to move with the times, the BBC, because this sort of choose what you want to watch when you want to watch it culture will almost be the end of traditional TV formatting. Um, so it's a possible sort of dipping their toe in the ocean to see what happens with it. But I think they've got they've got to do something. Um, or they're going to lose the licence fee stuff and get left behind. Especially when they are just churning out stuff that's very underwhelming. Yeah, and if it's whether or not the model works, because every, all the programmes that we're describing here, commercial television makes two, and in a lot of cases mm-hmm. makes better. Well, Sky is just con- they're constantly making new stuff now. Yeah, all the time. and more interesting and more envelope pushing stuff as well. Series like um, Fortitude earlier this year. You know, BBC's mm-hmm. not tried anything as as big scale and ambitious as that for as long as I can remember. Mainly well, out of fear of having to justify itself. Well, wasn't Fortitude like the most expensive British TV show ever made? Or something? I would imagine so. And it was. Wasn't it wasn't just the BBC though, because I saw it before it hit Sky, and it was it was in the States. Yes, yes, it was a co-production, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you know, even stuff they 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 don't make probably since Luther. I don't think they've made any sort of drama, crime, thriller, things that I've been interested in. Yeah. It's literally just sort of comedies and maybe Storyville now that I don't tune in for. Yeah. And- well, okay, actually, no, that maybe that is a lie. Some, some of the other documentaries they do produce occasionally are quite interesting. The Bletchley Park one that was on this week was, was quite interesting. Um, but they don't seem to do too many of them. God, do you know how sad? I once put um, a Freedom of Information Act into the BBC to get because they keep crying on about how many people have watched their programmes on iPlayer and what the top 10 are, what the top 20 are. So I asked them what the bottom 10 and the bottom 20 were, and they refused to tell me. 
Oh, really? Yeah, because I had this feeling, I bet you there's something on iPlayer that nobody's ever watched. There's going to be a Welsh language (laughs) (laughs) documentary about bell ringing, and nobody's watched it. And I just wanted to see the viewing figures, zero. But they said um, their argument was that if they gave me this information, it could artistically compromise the people making uh, the shows. Whatever that means. Yeah. Hmm. It means you'd wave it in their face going, look, you're sure you watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's another thing that annoys me about the BBC. I'm sounding very anti-BBC here, and I'm not sure that I am, but I I think it's uh, there's been an awful lot of flag waving over the last couple of weeks where lots of celebrities have been lining up to praise to the hell everything that BBC does as an institution. And I, I think that that's not a very useful debate. Um, the thing that really annoys me about the BBC is the whole point is that the programmes are owned by um, us, the licence fee, who paid for their production. And yet mm-hmm. the percentage of their back catalogue that's actually available on iPlayer at any time is tiny. How's the, Where's the justification for that? Why wouldn't mm-hmm. it be possible mm-hmm. for them? Because everything is outsourced to, to these. Nothing is made by the BBC anymore. They pay the production company. Yeah. They pay the talent. Who they then make the show. The talent invariably own the production company. The whole thing's a fucking sham, in my opinion. And that's why that's one thing with the BBC that really get even on the radio now. Everything this has been a so and so production for the BBC. You know, it's like what yeah. I'm just listening to some random show on Radio Five, completely outsourced. The presenter invariably owns the production company. There's a lot of money being siphoned off there. Yeah, so and those are all the people who've been on Twitter going, save the BBC. Yeah, so if the BBC are spending this money, this public money on these programmes, they should remain a public resource. If it became, because it could potentially be the most fantastic archive of entertainment and television and news and everything that could be made permanently available, then it would become a proper resource that nobody could begin to compete with. But they haven't turned it into that. And I can maybe mm. understand the argument that stuff that was produced before iPlayer existed, yeah, the contracts were in place and it wasn't possible. But anything that's been made in the last five years should be available forever to watch when you want it if you're a licensed fee payer. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm just floating this out there. Say Bad Education, for example. Is that, when you, if you want to buy the DVD, are you buying that from the BBC or are you buying that from the production company you made it? Well, it's interesting because people like um, Stuart Lee and Richard Herring have always said they had to buy the programmes off the BBC to sell them on DVD. Because hmm. the, the reason that the BBC would say that you can't, sell these on DVD, that they're not going to sell them on DVD, sorry, is um, they said it's too expensive to produce and no, they wouldn't have enough people buying it. So then you get people like Richard Herring and Stuart Lee who put some money together, pay whatever it was, 10 grand, and then release it through Go Faster Stripe. And then they obviously make the money from it and not the BBC. So I don't know, really. I don't know how it works. I mean, I'm just sort of giving one example. I guess it's different for, like, say, whoever's actually made the, the programme. Well, Whether it was in-house or as sort of whoever's show, you know, if Steve Coogan wanted to release, you know, something obscure from his past, uh, Coogan's Run, for, for example, would that be Baby K who owned that, his company, or would that be BBC? I guess it would just it's depend a, on... A can of worms, dude, a can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's all complain about the BBC, but going back to watching the Bake Off. Complain about them, but also I do sort of. I know what Phil's saying because I do support them as well. I want the BBC to to exist. I think it's a good thing. It just maybe is in a bit of a rut, possibly. 
it's it's hugely politicized as well so they're, they're not yeah. they're between a rock and a hard place in terms of what they're wanting to achieve particularly with a, a tory government that wants to tear them to pieces but mm. my question is is that necessarily the worst thing in the world um or bloody thatcher yeah yeah oh, <laughs> thatcher. topical steve oh. workers yeah you can get on buck the week with that yeah <laughs> it would do i'd probably be funny to laugh at them on there To kick off our new releases, we're going to review American Ultra, which has been seen by myself and Phil. It stars uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Christian Stewart. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character is a um, sleeper agent who gets activated. For me, it was just kind of a bit instantly forgettable, and it didn't didn't work for me. It didn't didn't kind of know what kind of film it wanted to be, whether it wanted to be a comedy or play it a bit more seriously. And you ended up with some kind of strange version of the two. And it just didn't quite... Mm. Yeah. It, it you know, you didn't know if it was... Yeah, I know I know what you're, you're trying to say. I mean, it's, it's Brooker wrote the review on our website. I haven't seen American Ultra, but as soon as he compared it to comedy dramas like, and I'm quoting, Burn After Reading and The Men Who Stare at Goats... I think that gives oh, you a very harsh. good impression of what kind of comedy it is. That's, is that harsh? You would disagree, harsh. I would completely disagree. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I think there was... It, it twisted my expectations a bit. It was definitely marketed as a stoner comedy. Um, mm -hmm. And the last time I was on Fail Critics was reviewing Ted 2 when I spoke <laughs> at length about how much I can't stand the genre of stoner comedy because there yeah. is nothing funny about people getting stoned that is not funny in and of itself but it's not that at all and the character i, I was expecting really 2d characterization of jesse eisenberg is just this guy just this waster who wants to get stoned um and his deadbeat girlfriend in, in Kristen stewart and it looked from the the pre-work that that's what it was going to be just lazy stoner mm -hmm. uh, just stereotypes and they didn't play with that at all they moved on from that really quickly and what you got in the two lead characters was two really adorable people who genuinely were really into each other and you felt as though you were invested in the relationship between the two of them what was going on in the background the the action element and the the set pieces they were they were proficient and they were fine but it was lifted better by the relationship between um jesse eisenberg and Kristen stewart who you forget or at least i forgot taking um the twilight films out of the equation she's actually got quite good screen presence um mm. and there's something about her that i found really quite captivating in this film um and i was really pleased with the way that her character was given the position that she was she's a Funny actress, isn't she, Kristen Stewart? Not in, I mean, not in this, she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's she's been in these Twilight films and got this reputation as not being a very good actress or, whatever, you know, she does have um, a legion of, of fans who defend her simply for being in Twilight. You know, if as soon as we mention her on Twitter from the Vale Critics account, oh, we've just reviewed you know, whatever this film, American Ultra, for example, or we did Camp X-Ray, I think was the one we, we posted before that. And she was in Camp And we mentioned, just put a name in, Kristen Stewart, starring Kristen Stewart. 
loads of retweets, loads of favourites from all these uh, obsessed sycophants <laughs> who I don't know what their purpose is in life, but it seems to be solely to post, share, and try and profess their love for this actress who just happened to be in Twilight. And I think that kind of overwhelms her reputation slightly. Yes. Um, because you see her in, I saw her in On the Road. I thought she was really good in On the Road. Um, I've, you know, even back in 2009 in Adventureland with Jesse Eisenberg as well. Yep. I thought she was quite good in that too. I mean, you could you could even go um, even even further back than that and say Panic Room, where she is a bit younger and a bit more inexperienced, but and she is obviously upstaged slightly by um, Jodie Foster, but. Even in that, you sort of see flashes that, yeah, she she probably is actually underneath somewhere going to be a good actress. I'm sure she doesn't regret Twilight because it's she'll never have to work again if she doesn't want to. I wouldn't have said no if anybody but, had offered me that role. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I was down to reasons. the short list, but I just didn't make the cut in the end. <laughs> no, I just... I think the film would have been better... It's not a stoner comedy. It's not... Well, the main character is a stoner, but it's not the jokes aren't based around him getting high. Um, and I kind of agree with Phil that the, the two main characters, they're, you know, they are good. You do root from, you do, they are likable. I just think they're in a, a not very good film that needed to make its mind up whether it wanted to be a comedy or play it a bit more straight legs. I mean, I think people have seen from the trailer, there's like the over the top or action scene, you know, where he shoots mm. a frying pan, which kills the bad guy. You know, the bullet deflects. So they could have done more with that, but still played it as a more kind of serious film than what they did. Some of the bad guys were just a bit stupid and irritating. Was that John Gresmo? Was he? Yeah, he was. His character was just irritating as hell. Topher Grace. Yeah, just... that was a bit disposable. I'll agree there. But you must, Steve. You must have enjoyed the Walton Goggins character, the the laugher, laugher, depending yeah. on how northern you are. Mm. No, no, really. Okay, <laughs> I just thought that was stupid. <laughs> it was just, but they could, but they could have possibly explored that side of things. I just, I just think it needed to make its mind up what what kind of film it wanted to be, and it would have been a better film for it. Well, I think I'd watch Walton Goggins do just about anything, and just saying his name's <laughs> always a fun thing to do as well. <laughs> Mister and Mrs. Goggins's boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just going back to Brooker's review as well, just to mention, he also was very keen on um, Walt Goggins. He, called, he said, makes a brilliantly twisted and nasty turn as the CIA's best, co- uh, in brackets, worst exterminator. Um, so you're not on your own, Phil. It seems he was quite popular, even if Good. it's disagrees. <laughs> there was also a showdown at the end of the film, which takes place in a hardware store, which I thought was really well done, especially compared to the turgid piece of shit that was done in the same way at the end of The Equalizer earlier this year, last year, whenever that was. Hmm. God, that was terrible. Um, but I found that the, <laughs> the bit in the hardware store, it was really fun. I liked it. So that's what I mean. The action scenes like that were, were quite good. They were innovative, but they perhaps could have thrown a few more in or made them last a bit longer as well they just seem to be didn't seem to be as many as what i was expecting for a film like that yeah anyway yes that's american ultra um on to the final film reviewing which everyone bar me has seen which is transporter four probably got some tagline refueled or reloaded re something transporter transporter really transporter they missed the trick yeah 
That's, that's, that's the trend with these films, with these Luke Besson produced films. Stick a number in there somewhere. Like taken with a three as instead of an E. I think they should have gone for transport. Taken, taken two, the cleaners, or taken four, a ride. Oh, yeah, that would be, that would be a good description of what happens with those films. Um, but uh, yeah, transporter. That's not going to catch on, is it? Transporter refueled to give it its proper title. It, he's back. The transporter is back. So, so yeah, I say he's back. What isn't back is Jason Statham, who's been playing Frank Martin, the getaway driver, for three films. Successfully, to some degree. The first was brilliant. I really enjoyed the first Transporter film. But, yeah, so the guy's back. He's caught up in another thing. His dad's there. His dad's played by Ray Stevenson. And there's some prostitutes trying to get away from their Russian ganglord pimp guy. And, yeah, blah, blah, blah. It's just a typical sort of Luc Besson Euro thriller story it's not particularly exciting in fact i would go so far as to say the transporter refueled is garbage i really just came out of that screening and thought what an utter waste of time that was it was terrible i didn't enjoy any of it i you know we touched with it i i love the transporter films i i really do and if you go back to yeah one... okay well, well before yeah let's before we talk a bit more about transporter refueled let's talk a little bit about the original transporter film. We've got the, the the first one. Obviously, you've got Luke Besson, but it's directed by uh, Louis Leterrier, who he, yeah. he you know he went on and did some half decent stuff. He did Hulk, Clash mm-hmm. of the Titans. He's doing the new Sasha Baron Cohen film about football hooliganism, which I really can't. Which it's called I think it's called Grimsby. <laughs> but it, but the whole concept sounds brilliant. But he's he's doing proper work, and he did number two. Number three, which always makes me laugh, because the guy's name's is his surname Megaton. Ah, uh, he's the guy who also is determined to ruin the transporter films take, as well. Uh, not sorry, uh, the Taken, taken films. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But th- th- there's a formula there. Obviously, you've got the Stath, who is so charismatic, so charming, and you kind of, there's always some peril involved. In this, you know, with the, the new one, I found I, you never really felt anyone was in any danger at any point. But the most important thing for me is that the female um, members of the cast who, in one, two and three, but very much in two, um, oh God, I can't remember her name, um, Amber Valletta, I think it is. She's really striking, a really tall blonde woman who's got the, the the smoky coal black eyes, the stockings with the guns in them. She looks menacing. And all of the female characters in the first three are really strong, memorable. And there's just something about them. They're really, you kind of, you can't take your eyes off them. And in this one, it looks like the lingerie models from a little (laughs) catalogue. It just, it's just, okay, you've seen it. Can you remember any of them? Well, no, they that, between the four. Well, that was the thing that they did. They deliberately, as for some yeah. plot point that was completely <laughs> unclear, they deliberately made them interchangeable because they were wearing all the same wigs and the same outfit, which was just confusing because there was no but justifiable then they, reason for it. The only distinguishing feature was they were of different ethnicities. Yeah, so if you got within half a mile of them, you could tell them apart very easily. Yeah. Um, but no, I can't remember any detail of any of the four. But can you remember the ones in the preview? Can you remember? Do you remember the really tall blonde with the guns from number two? 
It's kind of the it must be a <laughs> I, I genuinely can remember very little about two or three. Okay, I guess if you're not into them, then then you know you wouldn't you wouldn't remember them. But this is a weird thing because none of them have got great. If you look on you know your IMDb or your Rotten Tomatoes, none of the first three were particularly well received, which I find a bit strange. But the kicker is over here they're all 15s. In the states, mm. these are all PGs. PGs, yeah, all PG thirteen, all of them. Oh, and is, that really threw me. I was like, "Really? Fuck!" Is, I remember them they being been, adult kind of thrillers, but they're not. Were they edited down to PG thirteens, or were think they? So no, because usually over here, your fifteen will 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 get a PG thirteen in the states. Yeah, uh, and that because I'm I because I've been on record multiple times as saying I fucking hate PG thirteen films aimed at adults. They're shit. <laughs> and then I, and I realised I love the transport of one, two, and to a degree three as well. Hmm. Well, okay. Well, so you you love the previous transport films, and this one is a fifteen transport to refueled. It is still a fifteen, so there's still it's some a PG in the states. Well, PG yeah, in the yeah. states, but there's you know there's some violent kills in it, and he beats up a few people in quite graphic ways, I guess. In but did you like Transporter Refueled at all? Was there anything about it that you you sort of felt made it fit with the series, and you were you were pleased to see back? Or I, the just thing is, not. Ray Stevenson was probably the only redeeming feature in the whole film. Mm. And I have a, like a thing with British actors: if you haven't been in the bill or casualty, I'm not going to give you the time of day. And he's been in both. <laughs> yeah, proved you've put the legwork in exactly whereas how do you pronounce his name the, the lead guy ed screen screen screwing anyone screen probably okay yeah apparently he was in game of thrones well i've seen every episode i don't remember the fucker yeah and he got in... he didn't come back after season four or five um he was the oh God, um, he got replaced with um, oh, I can't remember any character names from Game of Thrones because none, <laughs> none of them are actual names. Um, uh, the problem with Game of Thrones is just too many. Names. Dragon Girl's boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, he was he had like two episodes in the season before he was established playing the same character. And to be honest, he was better in that role than the guy that took over from him. I think, um, but. I thought he was tor- terribly suited to um, Frank Martin, though. He just didn't have that look about him at all. Well, he, yeah, he tried... I didn't think he was very well cast. To no, be he tried to do an impression of Jason Statham. He tried to do the voice. He tried to do the mannerisms. They even did the little... If you watch the early Transporter films, and it, it almost harks back to old Bruce Lee films. The fight scenes always have a cutaway where he gives a cheeky look to the camera, which is you know, or a dirty look. And they yeah. tried to include that, and it just was like cringe. It was awful. So is this a is it a sequel or a prequel or no? It's a reboot. He's playing Frank. He's playing the exact same character as the Stath, and he ain't the Stath. Is it a, a, a reboot though? He's playing the same character name, and if you look at the timelines, it's the same timeline, so it makes no sense. Well, it, it, it's deliberately vague on that fa- on that point, mm. isn't it? Because mm. there's the um, Transporter TV series as well. well is that all part True. of the same story? I've never seen that any of that at absolute all. Absolute shit. I mean, it, it ran for two seasons, didn't it? 
did you watch it four five and i was just like I'm, i can't be good i can't i just can't do it i mean um it should really in theory be a premise that works repeatedly because he's just a getaway driver isn't he so we could get into all kinds of plots and stories but i guess what they tried to do was link the first three films together so there was a a, a theme that ran through it wasn't there with he'd wronged the wrong person yeah but you um, had that you know they, they were an utter romp and they were a proper laugh but there was always that slither of believability that ran through them just it, it might have been tiny but it was there whereas this is fully into crank territory where it's completely ridiculous <laughs> it, the, i remember the i think it's the first one where he finds out the package is a girl and she gets out the car and he's panicking because mm. he's worried about being caught with this girl. So there's always that kind of sense of peril in the opening to this one. They shoot all those um, African guys on their steps, change the prostitutes over and get them working while the bodies are still lying there. It was just so, you know, it's so ridiculous and so stupid. And, that, and it pretty much goes like that for the whole film. And I just, apart from the soundtrack, I hated everything about it it was utter utter rubbish yeah i mean the only redeeming feature i can think of is at least they haven't given it to that olivia megaton at least he hasn't come in with his quick cut action scenes where you can't see anything i think he would have done better than because that guy brick mansions is one of the worst films i've ever seen have you fact have you seen it owen no steve when he loses the quiz Make him watch Brick. <laughs> don't do not do that. I mean, last time he gave me a he thought it would be a good film to watch. Yeah, I'm giving Brick's up with that. I didn't like yeah. it. Yeah. So. Brick Mansions, buddy, you're going to look. Because if you look, you know, it's just awful. You know, it's like people mm. hanging off missiles, awful. <laughs> <laughs> but this this guy, anyway, um, let's give him a name Camille Delmer. Is that yeah. his name? Camille Delmer, sorry. He uh, he has got some involvement with the the transporter franchise anyway. I think he was involved tea? with. Pardon? He made the tea. He made the tea. Yeah, he's got down. He was an editor, but I suppose he could have made the tea at the same time. Could have made himself tea and not offered it around. But he also he was involved in Taken Two. So you know, swings and roundabouts. Some are good. Some perhaps not so good. So um, I just want to, last thing on this. Do you remember when the woman got? Maybe I'm getting confused. A woman got shot. Okay. The dad got a stick covered in cobwebs and some sugar. Yeah, that's right. Stuffed yeah. it in the wound. Was she then not 10 minutes later swimming up underneath the boat? Yeah, she was at death's uh, door and then yep. was suddenly miraculously better because cobwebs. Cobwebs. Yeah. Yeah. Magic. Magic cobwebs. And sugar. And sugar. Mm. Yeah. Just. It's an old army trick. I know, but I mean, when you. Have you ever been in the army, Bill? Paul, have you ever been in the army? No, Steve. Is that well? There you go. Then. Okay. Yeah. Don't know. Okay, you just, I don't, you just assume that I've never been in the army. Yeah. yeah. I tell <laughs> you what, Steve. When, <laughs> when, when the Somerset hoodies come and shoot you, you come and see me because I'll find some cobwebs and some sugar. I'll be dead. I'll be shot. <laughs> Are we done with this piece of garbage? Uh, yeah, I think we might be. Let's go on to some recommendations for the week ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Saturday night on film four, ten to ten past eleven, sorry, and uh, seven psychopaths from 2012. Also on channel four that night at the same time actually is Chronicle. So you can see what Matey, um, who 
made a really bad Fantastic Four film can do when he's on form. Yeah, Chronicle's great. Mm. Uh, I hate found footage films. I just hate them. Um, And yeah, I really enjoyed Chronicle. I think they get a bad rap. There's so many of them. That's part of the problem because they're so cheap to make comparatively. I think probably, and I'm making this statistic up off the top of my head, one in every three horror films made now are found footage. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Is that a fact? Yeah. It's a fact. I can't, I can't see any evidence to, to not suggest that would be true. That Didn't seems you? low, if anything, to me. Yeah. <laughs> but like I say, it's because it's cheap and they can, they can make them without having to fork out for very, you know, any decent equipment and it makes script writing a bit easier. <laughs> They're... Um... But my favourite experience in a film a couple of months ago, this is the, the, the moment of relief that I felt in a film. In Wreck 3, they start off as found footage and then after yeah. the first five minutes, they finally drop the fucking format and yeah. make it not found footage. And just my heart went, oh, thank God. Thank <laughs> God. I don't want to yeah. watch someone's shaky video phone. It worked really well in Wreck as well. I, I think I'm... Did you hang on? Did you enjoy Wreck Genesis? Um, it, is that the one on the boat? It's no, that's four. I think. Did I enjoy it? Is, ah, I liked bits of it. It, it yeah. got carried away with itself a bit as well, though. Yeah, that's fair enough. I like the third one, but I think I'm probably the only person who prefers it to the first. There doesn't seem to be many people on my my side. Anyway, Owen, tell us, what you're, tell us what you're going to watch this week. Yes. Right, okay. It's, uh, it is a horror film, but it's not fame footage. It might even be uh, a PG horror film, but it's on the Horror Channel, which if you've got Sky, is Channel 319, or it's also on Freeview now. It's been on Freeview for a little while. Um, the Horror Channel on Saturday, right, 20 to 7 in the uh, evening, Mask of the Red Death. The 1964 Roger Corman film with Vincent Price. That is the film that I watched and realised that, okay, I I really like Roger Corman and Vincent Price. And then last year I went on that binge of watching loads of Vincent Price films. It's because of Mask of the Red Death. It is brilliant. Visually brilliant. Vincent Price is brilliant. Story is iffy, of course, as it would be. <laughs> but... Nevertheless, who cares about story? Who cares exactly? I mean, it's based on an Alan Edgar Allan Poe short story. So I mean, you said this before. my my late dad, his um his favourite actor was was Vincent Price, and he used to go on and on and on about the pit and the pendulum all the time. Pit the pendulum, yeah. Also Roger Corman, yeah, brilliant. But Mask Mask of the Red Death. It's um twenty to seven on Saturday on the Horror Channel. Okay. Um, Phil. Okay. Um, coming out on Blu-ray, I hope it's this week or next week, um, is a special edition 40th anniversary um, special edition of Dog Day Afternoon, um, wow. which is a phenomenal film. Um, and that it's 40 years old, I find absolutely petrifying um, <laughs> that it could possibly be that long ago. 
Um, it's bundled together with some some special stuff. There's um, a commentary from Sidney Lumet, which I think has been released before. And there's also another disc with um, a documentary about, I'm going to get this, better pronounce his name wrong, John Cazale or Cazale. Oh, yeah. Cazale. Um, Cazale, that's probably it, isn't it? Um, who had a pretty phenomenal career um, before he died of cancer in 1978 only ever starred in five films, all of which were nominated for Best Picture. That's a career. That's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm hanging on before I make my big screen debut. I want to make sure yeah. that the, the run I get, that they're, they're all gold. Um, yeah. You want to work with Francis Ford Coppola, um, Sidney Lumet. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, so that looks like um, an interesting proposition. And... Which is, there's not, I tend, I'm famous um, amongst my friends for really not being bothered at looking backwards when it comes to film because there's just too much to see that's being made now. Uh, there's, it's very rare that I'll watch a film from before I was born. Um, one of the very few exceptions um, is Dog Day Afternoon, which I absolutely adore. Um, and so, yeah, happy birthday, Dog Day Afternoon. Okay, <laughs> and Paul, finally. Well, we need to take a moment and bow our heads as we say goodbye to Pete, Ruxin, Taco, Kevin, Andre and Jenny as the league tomorrow it's it enters its final season. Um, I you know, since Owen and I discovered that we were Eskimo brothers, we you know, we've loved this show. <laughs> uh, and I just think it's probably the funniest TV show of the last 5-6 years. I love everything about it. I love all the characters. Hanging out with these guys has just been an absolute privilege, and I, I can't wait for the new, albeit final series. So yeah, Netflix have got season six at the moment. In fact, all the seasons. So you've you've got twenty four hours to catch up, and um, yeah, really looking forward to it. And if you haven't seen it, well, then you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> is it is it actually being shown on TV in the UK? Or no, you... you'll have to download yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's on. Has it's any on, of it been shown in I the UK? I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, the first six are seasons, but the final season starts tomorrow in the US. So you'll have to wait, mm. you know, eight months or whatever for it is for it to come here, which is ridiculous. So for absolutely no good reason. Do, do, have you seen it, Sharman? Um, yeah, I'm. I find that people fall in one of two camps. They either prefer the league or they prefer it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And mm -hmm. I'm very much a, a sunny man. Um, oh, I like both. Uh, but I like both, but my preference is definitely with Sonny. Um, I think it's a, a better show, but mm -hmm. I do enjoy the league. Um, I think I'm up to about halfway through season five, and I kind of trailed off a little bit, so I ought to get caught up. I'll, uh, I'll check and see if we're Eskimo brothers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it for this week's Failed Critics podcast. Thank you all for joining us on this journey through film and nonsense. Uh, Phil, thanks for joining us as well. Do you want to tell our wonderful listeners where they might be able to find the Wiki Shuffle? Well, if and you what, do, and, and what the Wiki Shuffle <laughs> is, uh, we have our other podcast episodes go live every Tuesday at midnight, um, and we are a comedy podcast. That's official. Um, where we press the random article button on Wikipedia and we talk about whatever we find out there um, and hilarity ensues. Um, yeah, the, so please... the, the, the Mexican drug cartel one had me creasing up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, a, a bombing in Pakistan in this week's episode. Sorry, a as bombing? Well. A, a bombing. Oh. 
<laughs> otherwise, I was interested. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, generally, it's lighter fare. Um, but yeah, it's um, give us a look. We're on the usual places where you find podcasts. You, I don't need to explain to people listening to this what a podcast is, which I do find myself <laughs> doing about 20 times a week at the moment. <laughs> it's kind of like a radio show, but not on the radio. No, it's not going in, is it, Grandma? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but even your your grandma's probably heard of cereal. So yeah, it's, you know cereal. It's like that, but funny. Just tell yeah. them it's got bumming and it's on the internet. Yeah, they'd have found it by then if it was a, that was the case. Anyway, yeah. So that that's Wiki Shuffle. Thank you very much, Phil, for coming over and spending time with us. Uh, I'm away next week, so Owen, you're in charge of everything. What's happening? Well, uh, Phil is coming back next week. He's on two weeks in a row. Um, and then we've also got Jack from, from Wiki so Shuffle. The, I like the, Jack, but, you know, the, it's a shame we couldn't get Chris the, instead. But Jack's, Jack's so okay. So you've, you've got the two from Wiki Shuffle that I can remember the names of. <laughs> it was that genuine? <laughs> you can't be serious. No, I can't, I can't uh, remember his name, the other one. It's Chris. A very, it's a very difficult name to remember. It's, yeah, one syllable. It doesn't matter how many syllables it is. It could be Dave. I could still forget it. Yeah. But um, Chris isn't joining us. So far as I know, I mean, he might, in the sort of intervening seven days, decide to join us. Um, he's been invited, but um, I think he's washing his hair. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll have Phil. Uh, Jack will be in your seat, Steve. He'll be hosting that week. Because the last time I hosted, it was so long. The podcast was so long and unwieldy. I had to split it into two episodes and release them separately. Tough shoes um, to fill, Jackie boy. <laughs> um, and we've also Low got um, Brooker. Brooker's going to join us as well next week. So it um, should, be, should be good fun, I hope. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes. Created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details